What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wizards of Gallery Place podcast. Brennan and Damo back on the show. We talked a little bit before we just started recording here. And, um, you know, it's not the the worst thing in the world. It could certainly be worse, but going four and seven now in your last 11 games is uh, certainly not ideal considering you've lost to some teams that you probably should be beating. And that's where the the So Wizard stuff comes in because that was a problem that past teams had. And look, it's not, again, in the course of an NBA season, you're going to lose games to teams that you shouldn't lose to. That's what happens. But it seems like it's happening now on too consistent of a basis. And I don't know. Again, I'm not completely off the boat or anything. But I'm just kind of struggling with how frustrated as fans should we be and how concerned should we be about the progress of this team going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's... I don't necessarily care so much who the opponent is. Like, I just want them to play adequate basketball, like play up to the level that I expect guys to play up to based on what their role is. Um, you know, but whether it's the Warriors or it's the Pistons, like, I expect guys to play to a certain standard. And, you know, on an individual level, top down, it's not really happening. Like, it's really just... At the moment, it's like KCP and Trez are the only guys that are giving you what they're supposed to give you on a consistent basis. Um, and then everybody else is kind of just, just. I mean, it's it's Jekyll and Hyde. You know, they might go four or five from three one night, and then the next night it's 0 for 6. Um, one night they might have eight points. The next night, you know, one night they might have 20 points. The next night they might have eight. Like, it's just... It's just you can't count on anything right now. Um, so they got to they gotta figure it out. And it's just I just feel like the first 13 games, a lot of the issues were masked with Montrez Harold's level of play. Um, and now that he's kind of come down to earth, those warts that were there are kind of really sticking out now, particularly with the starting five. So uh, the West got to figure it out. I, I kept telling myself once we had the good start, and obviously that wasn't going to keep up. If week in and week out they can just play 500 basketball um, in a given week, I think you can live with that. Because, again, they had already kind of separated themselves from a lot of the Eastern Conference. And now, that it, as you can see by looking at the East standings, it's going uh, to be a war for the rest of the season. I mean, this is all going to to change. Boston is starting to look good again. Atlanta has been winning more. Um, Those teams that were struggling at the beginning of the season are starting to climb back up. We look at Milwaukee now who looked really bad without all their starters in. Well, they're getting healthy now and they're a top three or they fourth right now. Either way, they've climbed all the way back up and they're going to be considered one of the favorites in the East. You know, we had said, or I had said, um, when the last couple of times you recorded, maybe it's going to get to a point where if you keep losing and playing 500 ball, like that's not going to really help you move up much in the standings, but the Bucks have just been winning a lot of games lately. So 
we're starting to see some movement in the East. And I'll tell you what, when you have a four-game stretch against San Antonio, Minnesota, Cleveland, and Toronto, and you go one and three during that stretch, that's not good. Uh, the San Antonio game was pathetic. They came back and got one against uh, Minnesota. but And then you come back and you lose two embarrassing, embarrassing games against Cleveland and Toronto. I mean, those efforts were awful. And I'm just not – it's not one thing, but if you had to place it on one thing in particular, what would it be? I think it's their starts. The games, if you look at the games they're losing like this, they start out horrible. And I think that's, that's indicative of the issues of the starting five. And then that, that, to me, the biggest issue in that starting five, to me, is the point guard. Um, or the backcourt, however you want to, whatever angle you want to approach it from. But it's just, it's not working. Um, and they're starting games in holes. They're starting games down 10 points, down 15 points. And then they got to climb back. They got to give this amazing effort. You need the bench to be perfect in order to climb back and take these leads back to close out games. And if they're hitting shots, it's possible. But as we've seen throughout these, what, 20-some games now, most times they're not hitting shots. And so it's hard to come back from down 15 when you can't make a three. And so you can't get out to these starts where, you know, Gafford is in foul trouble, so he got to go to the bench. And Trez gets in and, um, you know, you got the point guard just standing, watching. Um, Beal's not hitting shots, uh, you know. Or Bertans gets in and he's just 0 for 6. Uh, and then you're down, boom, out the gate, you're down 15. Like, I just... You're just not, it's going to be tough to win games like that where every game you're starting in a hole. Um, so they got to get they got to get off to better starts. Like they can't have first quarters where, you know, they're down double digits. <clears throat> sure. And I don't want to leave Wes on so junior out of this conversation because as much shit as we gave Scott Brooks during his tenure and then Randy Whitman prior. It's fair to to try and put maybe I'm not worrying this right to at least hold Weston Sell Jr. accountable. That that's a proper way of saying it. And look, compared to Scott Brooks, we'll take this every single day of the week. However, it is nice that they have a game plan um, on both sides of the ball. And defense, I'm not even worried about because I feel like the defense would be better if the offense wasn't such a disaster. But the minimum expectation was to at least run a system offensively. And they are, and credit to them for that. But I wonder, are they running the right system with the guys that they have? Do, do you think it, they need to change something in the game planning with that and how they're running their actions and their sets? Or do you think that the players just need to hit shots and it's just a matter of the players need to execute? Yeah, I think it, I think it's a little bit of both. Like I think I think this system like if we had Chris Paul at point guard, I feel like this system would be running like like a, a well-oiled machine, right? But I don't feel like this system really fits the player that Dinwiddie is. 
I know the player that Dinwiddie thinks he is, but the player that Dinwiddie actually is, who's a downhill attacking guard uh, that plays kind of inside out, um, I don't think that it fits him because you're asking him now to kind of kind of think and, and, and set screens off ball and, and cut. And uh, he's got to play more cerebral game. And I think he's more of a rhythm player. I think Beal is a rhythm player. Um, and they're not getting rhythm. They're, they're out there thinking, second guessing, trying to wait for guys to get open because they got to run this set. And I remember when Kuzma kind of jokingly was like, I think in a presser, he was like, yeah, we want to play every time down. And like he said it as a joke. But in my mind, I'm like, I wonder, like, is that one of those jokes that like he's he's like really it's, it's a serious thing, but he's joking about it, that it, it, it but it really it kind of annoys him that, you know, they don't really push pace. They don't really catch the rebound and just go try to find a guy, try to get to the rim to get easy buckets. Everything is kind of slow it down. Let's run a play uh, and, it, and it, you know, let's milk the clock and. Is that hurting them? Is that hurting some of the production with your guards? Because I feel like if it is, then you need to switch it up. You need to simplify it. You need to kind of, kind of, uh, you know, dumb it down a little bit so that these guys can play more free flowing, can play more. Uh, they're not. They can just react instead of thinking um, and play the game of basketball. But that's on Wes. <clears throat> Yeah, the, the one thing I like from Scott Brooks that we're not seeing with Wes is high pick and roll. Because pick and roll is all fine and dandy. That gets ran all the time. But I feel like it's not high enough. And I feel like there's not enough spacing when they run that to where if you're Beal or Dinwiddie coming off that, it feels like a lot of the time everything is clogged and contained in the middle. And so there's nowhere for them to... To, to pass or kick out, and that's when we see Beal in situations dribble it off his leg or try to force it. We see Dinwiddie not want to get aggressive and go attack the lane, and a lot of the times he should, but a lot of the time, I mean, there really isn't a proper angle for him to do that, at least from my evaluation that I have when I watch the game. So um, I think that, and again, and I said this the, the last time that, that we recorded, my a big issue of mine has been pace, and it's not that I don't like the organization that they have, but at the end of the day, these guys are basketball players. This isn't the youth league. This isn't Division One college program. At the end of the day, these guys just need to go out there and show their skills, and the most natural and informal way of doing that is to let them run pick and roll and to let them go ISO. And it's not that I want that every time down the floor. Again, that was the problem with Scott Brooks. If Scott Brooks had any sort of system in place, but your offense is mostly based off pick and roll, I'm fine with that. But you can't do that every single time down the floor. Much like with West now, you can't just call a play every single time down the floor because we don't have half-court scores. We have Bradley Beal. And even we've had issues with Bradley Beal being in the half-court, and we feel like it would help him if they could get more out in the open court where he can get in – and hit his transition threes. He can finish at the rack against defenders and get to the line. 
we're not really seeing that. And it's changed a little bit lately. And I give Kyle Kuzma a ton of credit because he's kind of been that Draymond Green type guy. I keep using that comparison to where he's trying to set the pace. He's trying to get um, guys moving in the offense. He, he's trying to get them going. But it seems like he's been the only one that's made a serious effort at trying to speed up. And I have to give Kuzma credit for that because um, it, it's a it's a much needed change of pace. And hopefully more guys start to get bought in with that. But, that, but then you go back to Wes and it's like, okay, but does Wes actually want to do that? Does he talk about increasing the pace ever in his practice interviews or, or post-game press conferences? Have you ever – have you heard him say anything recently about – them wanting to pick up the pace a little bit? Oh, not recently. I mean, the only the only quotes I have on him as far as pace was just how he felt like, you know, as it related to last year, too high of a pace kind of uh, can hurt you, you know, if you're turning the ball over and you're taking bad shots, which is true. But you can't go from high pace to no pace. Like, yeah, <laughs> it can't be... <laughs> You know, we get a rebound and we got numbers and we're slowing it up so we can run a set. Like, it, it can't be that. Like, you have to, especially for a team that struggles to shoot. Like, you're struggling to shoot and you're kind of compounding the issue by eliminating easy buckets. Um, so right. now, your, your half-court offense, if you're not going to get fast break points, your half-court offense better be perfect and guys better be hitting shots. Right, um, because if you're not, well, the, your opponent is gonna get downhill and you know uh, take advantage of that. Yep. Um, move wise with the roster, I think that they still need to make a decent upgrade. And uh, look, if they were gonna trade Bradley Beal, the time to do that was over the summer. If they're bad at, at the trade deadline this year. You can trade Beal, but it's like to what avail? You know how much? How much could you really get for a guy who is probably going to become an unrestricted free agent this summer? So look, and I get if you're desperate and you feel like you're right there, you may be able to get something. But I feel like when you brought in a new coach and you were able to find the guy or the, the team that wanted to take on Russ's contract, the time to move Beal was over the summer when you could have brought in a whole new fresh team. And you could have let Wes start from scratch and kind of been in that Jamal Mosley type situation where he took over a team and could really mold it into into his vision and what he saw. Because when you sign veterans and, and you take on veterans, as we can see with guys like Dinwiddie and Beal, overall, this has not been a good mesh so far, generally speaking, I would say. So now we can go ahead and get into more of the, the, the Beal, Dinwiddie sort of stuff. So go ahead and sort of give me your take on what you think about Beal's play overall this season. And then do you think that long-term Dinwiddie being the guy next to him is something that can work? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting topic. I mean, um, you know, you kind of – Usually I have uh, uh, the, the mindset that, like, you kind of just get the best talent and you figure it out from there. Um, you know, you you done had Wall with Bill, you done had Rush with Bill, and now you got Dinwiddie. Um, and I think all three of those point guards have similar kind of style of play that they have to execute in order to 
to be used properly. And, you know, they're not great shooters, and they're guys that thrive best with the ball in their hand. Um, and now that Bill has kind of morphed into this kind of score-first type on-ball player when, you know, we initially thought he was going to kind of be more like a Ray Allen type. Um, that kind of changes how you build a team around him. I always thought, though, as a guard, uh, particularly a high-volume, high-usage guard, the best fit to put around that type of player is a, an elite big, an elite scoring big. So you have, so you have, uh, you know, Shaq and Kobe. His backcourt mate was a Derek Fisher, a low usage, three and D guy. Um, you know, Dwayne Wade and LeBron. I mean, they had Mario Chalmers as their point guard. You know, low usage, three and D guys. You know, you don't really see two high usage point guards in your backcourt that both need the ball, both struggle to really shoot it from deep and it works. Like we saw CP3 and Harden almost seem like they was about to come to blows because, you know, Harden wants the ball and when he doesn't have it, he kind of just stands in the corner and pouts. And CP3 is is a maestro and wants to control the offense. So if he doesn't have the ball, What's his value? And I think you're you're starting to see some of that with, with Beal and Dinwiddie now. So with Beal's play overall, um, do you still feel that it's in the organization's best interest long-term to keep investing in him, to, to give him the Supermax deal? I've said several times, I think I would do it if – the team is winning, and I still think that they need another star player. Now, I think it's clear that Beal is going to have to be the number one on the team just because we don't have the assets to go and trade for Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant. We we don't have the ability to sign those guys in free agency unless something has is going to change. But even then, even if guys do want to come here, do we have the flexibility in order to – make that happen. I'm just not so sure that we do at this point, but with Beal, you can kind of stomach paying him that money again, as long as you're winning. But do you think that it's in the the best interest right now of the franchise to keep treating him essentially like he's LeBron James? You're muted. There you go. Yeah, so yeah, he he's not LeBron James. Uh, he's not Giannis. He's not KD. He's not any of those guys. He's never going to be those guys. And I think I think the Wizards know that. Um, and I think they have to build accordingly. I think I think you look at what the Suns doing are doing around Devin Booker. You look at what the Jazz are doing around Spider Mitchell. Um, even to some degree, what the the Hawks are trying to do around Trey Young. Um, if you're going to have a high usage, relatively undersized guard, uh, I think you have to pair him with an elite big man. Um, you know, you need that guy that kind of, you know, they can kind of overwhelm a defense with their size and presence on the floor because sometimes these high usage guards can be inefficient because they aren't. Six eight, six nine, with forty inch verticals, they can't just impose their will to the realm. So you kind of 
need to give them a big to kind of play off to 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 get them easier shots. Um, and I and I think that's where the Wizards should be trying to go towards the money aspect of it. Like Bill is a top twenty player. I think there's enough body of work over his last four or five years to to solidify that. Um, even with how bad he's looked shooting the ball this year. Um, I, if if it wasn't for shooting being down across the board in the league, I would be very scared. Like if he was like the only person shooting below his career averages, I would be worried. But because it's so uh, prevalent across the league, I mean, from Tatum, Anthony Davis to Dame Lillard, I mean, I feel like it's something else larger going on that nobody has really pinpointed yet. And this might just be like a fluky year um, for for a multitude of different reasons. So I still believe in, you know, you got a top 20 player, you do what you got to do to keep him. And then you try to add another top 20 player that fits his skill set, that complements him. And I think that that type of player is an elite scoring big man. Um. Yeah, and and that that's what I would be trying to do. So I mean, is there any? I mean, obviously, Carl Anthony Towns comes to mind, but that's not something that the Wizards can do this year in terms of making a move for him. Because hands down, the the Wolves are going to want Daniel Gafford, and the Wizards legally cannot trade Daniel Gafford this season. So, I mean, is there anyone else that comes to mind? Maybe you can try and have an elite four and maybe that's like a Ingram Tatum route sort of deal, or you're strictly thinking that they need to make an upgrade at the five. I think it has to be someone that, that can score out of the post. It doesn't necessarily need to be a five man per se. Um, but I feel like it needs to be somebody that can get the ball in, in the paint um, and operate there. Cause like, say if it was, I mean, Say if it was Giannis, like, I mean, he's not a five, but he gets most of his baskets in the paint. He can impose his will physically uh, in the paint. I feel like you have to put Bill next to that type of player. If you're going to put Bill next to another guy that wants to be out on the perimeter, play iso ball, iso perimeter ball, uh, I don't think that's going to be an ideal fit. You're basically swapping one problem for a different looking one. Um I think you have to have a guy in that paint that can just enforce their will at the rim. Um, so if it's not Cat, because I think that should be, that would, to me, based on age and resume and ability, talent, I think that would be the perfect get. But I don't see that happening this year. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, if I'm kind of leaning <laughs> towards Ben Simmons, believe it or not. Um, I, yeah, I, I, because it's like the idea of Ben Simmons. I, I think that's what I'm kind of clinging to the idea of him as a six foot ten, just rim destroyer, especially in transition. Yeah, you get him yeah. running, um, you get him on mismatches, he can really abuse teams in the paint. Um, and no, he does not like to shoot jumpers. Yes, he is a bad free throw shooter, but I think. Him paired next to Beal is a much better pairing than him paired next to Embiid, who operates in the same space. Like I think, I think the Beal, I, I feel like the Ben Simmons and Embiid pairing 
was always an issue for the same reason that a, a wall bill or a wall uh, or bill rust pairing is going to be an issue because these guys operate in the same space. So they're going to clash. Um, I think you need to kind of diversify your top end talent to, to yield better results. Yeah, I think Ing- or sorry, Ben Simmons is a guy that you can also kind of work out of the high post a little bit, and I think he has that jumper in his game. I know that he doesn't like taking jumpers, and look, he's not even the the worst three point shooter in the world, like statistically. Like, do you want him taking jumpers? You know, probably not. But who knows what he's been doing as far as improving his jumper while he's been away from the team? So if you can get him in that high post area, you can get him to draw defenders and then lob it to Gafford or whatever. I mean, that's something that'd be fun. And like you said, getting the ball in transition. Imagine replacing what Kyle uh, Kuzma is trying to do right now with Ben Simmons, and then you can get Dinwiddie running in transition. You could let him shoot like he wants to do. Um, And having Ben Simmons will open things up for Dinwiddie as well because Simmons will draw a lot of attention. That can lead to late closeouts on Dinwiddie. Then Dinwiddie can get into the paint and feed to whoever. But um, it's hard when you have guys from the wing position that aren't really good off the bounce. And perhaps we were expecting um, too much out of Dinwiddie given the context and the circumstance. And maybe that's where the Wizards are struggling on, on offense right now. But you know I've been on the Ben Simmons train for a minute. Now, I don't know what you're going to have to give up to get him, but I would take him and, and put him at the four and just have him, like you said, kind of be a paint guy, guy they can use on the break. And uh, who knows what else he's improved while he's been away from the Sixers. Yeah, and, and, and I would I would kind of frame it, I mean, my idea of, of adding Ben Simmons would be, in theory, with Dinwiddie not here, because I think if you're going to go with Ben Simmons at the four, and then you're also talking about a Gafford at the five, I feel like you have to have a shooter at the point guard spot, and then you have to have a shooter at the three. I mean, if we're saying that's KCP, lock that in, because he's obviously a shooter, but I think at point guard, you will have to have like a Seth Curry type at that point. Um because then you have your three defenders in your front court with KCP, Simmons, Gafford, and then Beal, uh, you know, Beal, a Seth Curry type at point guard, and then KCP can really shoot it. So uh, just as far as fit, because I don't know that Dinwiddie wants to kind of just stand and watch while Ben Simmons orchestrates everything and they're playing through Beal. I don't know that Dinwiddie is willing to sign up to be a, a, you know, a third option, third banana. I mean, he's not getting paid like a second or a first option, though. He's getting paid like a third, like a fringe third, fourth kind of guy, especially with the salary cap going up. And I mean, and even watching him right now, all he wants to do is stand and shoot and pass anyway. So, And I think you can get value out of that, but you need someone else next to Beal that can sort of be an enforcer because he clearly just isn't going to be that guy. And that's, okay not everyone has to be but then you need to adjust and try to bring someone in who can kind of be that guy and I think that given price again that's been my biggest thing with Ben Simmons all along is the price it's going to take to get him I don't think is going to be that great now the the biggest problem with that is you start competing with other teams for offers because if the Trailblazers offer CJ McCollum then all other bets are off right right And and the Sixers are definitely trying to get back a player that they feel fits into Joel Embiid's potentially limited remaining window. 
Um, you know, his knees are not getting any younger. And so whoever they get back for Ben Simmons, they're going to want it to be a guy that can really produce. So I don't think they're taking like some up and coming, you know, young players, you know, in year two, year three, that uh, you're just looking at potential. Like they're trying to get back an all-star level guy. And I don't know that we don't have that to give them. So I don't know how we would make a deal out with them. I don't either, because if you look at their point guard spot right now, right, I mean, Tyrese Maxey is having a pretty good season, and even if they traded for Dinwiddie, are they starting Dinwiddie over Tyrese Maxey? You know, I mean, that's a real conversation at this point. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. I mean, and then there's maybe Siakam, um, but I don't know that his talent is at a high enough level to really – say he could be a you know a 1B or a 2 to Bradley Beal. I don't I don't really yeah, I I don't really know about that. Yeah, it's um it's tough cuz I mean for me ideally I would try and upgrade at the four position. I think that for Daniel Gafford serves his purpose as a modern day 5 and again with the salary cap going up his contract won't be unreasonable. And then with KCP or whoever on the wing, I mean, you can put the three and four into this conversation in terms of upgrade, but I'm thinking that with a, with a point guard that wants to get guys involved, you need another score. And so I'm looking at like Brandon Ingram, Jason Tatum, like I'm looking at those types of guys to put at the four. I know sometimes they'll be a little bit small, but the modern day four is not what it used to be. You can kind of almost insert anyone in there now that's at least – Six six, sometimes six five, and you know around two hundred pounds. You know it doesn't have to be anything fancy. Yeah, I just worry about that when you matching up against a Giannis or a LeBron or AD. Like those are the guys you're gonna have to get through to to win a title. And I'm just kind of like, I feel like you're at a disadvantage if you're putting that type of player. Like Brandon Ingram is 190 pounds. I uh, I, I kind of cringe at the idea of him trying to guard a Giannis out on the perimeter or or in the yeah. paint. Like I, I it's Giannis is you can stamp Giannis for fifty. <laughs> so yeah, but, I don't know. Yeah, but these guys also that you just named used to play the three, and it seems like now that they've shifted a position down. So I feel like really you're at a disadvantage either way. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. Cause it, cause I feel like 20 years ago, Giannis is like a small forward, but right. in today's NBA, he could play the five and dominate. Right. Right. You know? So yeah, it's definitely a different era uh, of, of hoop. And that's why I just think like these super, these super freak players like a Giannis, like they, they just have you, they give you such an advantage, man, because it's really no way to stop them. You know, they're, they're, they're really five men size and strength, but with guard skills. Like, I just don't know how you've, how did you, those guys aren't growing on trees, you know? Yeah. Um, well, glad to see that you're sort of on the, the Ben Simmons train now. I've kind of been on that for a minute, but I, I would like to say that I would like Dinwiddie to still be here in that situation. So I'm not sure how that deal would get worked out again why would they want Rui because they have Tobias Harris you know Denny could be useful for to them but then they have Matisse Thibel and it's a it's a messy situation when you talk about that so I'm not sure exactly what they'd want maybe it would be a 
a draft compensation thing. They'll say, hey, you know, we'll take a couple of your players, but we want a hell ton of draft compensation. And then that's a, a different conversation, I guess. But um, let's get on to the games for for this week. So tonight we are at Indiana. Um, this is This is a really scary game because if they come out and they lose this game bad, it's it's going to be terrible on Wizards Twitter. Um, it is an away game. The next what nine out of ten are on the road. I mean, it's it's not Ooh. good. Um, so, but with that being said, what do you got for tonight? Uh man, they've looked so bad their last eleven games. Like they have a bottom five offense and defense their last eleven. Yeah. So it's it's hard. but at the same time they've never lost three games in a row this season. So okay. I'm gonna go with a bounce back victory to get them maybe on track. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm gonna go back with a I'm gonna go with a bounce back victory on the road. Okay. I'm gonna give them a loss tonight. Um I, I think it'll be much better than what we've seen recently, but I still think they're gonna lose. And then at Detroit, I'm going to go with the win for that one. Okay. Definitely a you win gotta, over here. You got to win. Okay. Win. Yeah. Yeah. If we yeah. lose to Indiana, then lose to Detroit, all hell's going to break loose. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I'm going to have to just get off Twitter that day. It's going to be <laughs> trade whatever you can, apologize to John Wall, get his ass back, do whatever it takes. It's going to be unbearable. Um, I would still take John Wall back, though, by the way. Maybe not at that current salary. I don't even think we could legally trade for him anyway. I don't know how that works, but I would take John Wall back if there was a buyout for sure. Um, Utah, home game. Our only home game, I guess, in this stretch. So um, I'm going to go. Man, this is a tough one. I'll go loss. It's tough because we kind of match up well with Utah, but it's going to come down to are we able to hit shots, man? Um, I don't and know. They have shot makers, man. They have Ingles. They have um, Bogdanovich. They have killers, man. Yeah, because I, I, honestly, I think the teams that we struggle with are the teams that have like multiple big bodies in their front court. So we can't abuse them in the front court and kind of rack up those second chance points. Trez going off, Gafford going off. Um, yeah. Like, really, the Jazz just have Rudy Gobert. And it's like, if you can kind of get him flustered a little bit, maybe get him in foul trouble, they kind of food in the paint after that. So, ah, uh, man, I'm I'm going to go with that as an L because I just don't think we're going to be able to shoot well enough. All right, so you got them going two and one this week. I got them going uh, one and two. I'm struggling. Who is Utah's backup five even right now? Because Tony Bradley is in um, Chicago now. So I don't even know who their backup five is. Let me check you. I feel like it's somebody that's not that good. <laughs> Probably not. Because uh, a lot of their depth is, is on the perimeter, on the wings. Uh it is oh, it's Hassan Whiteside. Oh yeah, that might be. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot that's, about that's, that. That's gonna be a problem, man. Yeah. 
All right. Well, anything else you got before we go ahead on and close it out? Uh, balls in your court, Wes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we, talked decisions about, here. we talked about the honeymoon being over with Dinwiddie. The honeymoon is over for Wes as well. Um, it, it's It would be different if we were rebuilding. You could stomach this. I mean, we would be stomaching way worse than this probably right now. But you have a winning team. The expectation when you took over the team was to win basketball games, especially now with the improved depth. We got to see more, man. We can tell the difference between just guys not making shots. And that may have been the case earlier on, but now it's starting to look like a little bit more than that. So he and the staff have got to figure that out. I have faith in them. They're not dumb guys, you can tell. Um, Not the clown squad that Scott Brooks had next to him the past five years, but they got to figure it out, man. Um. All right, I think that's going to go ahead and do it for us here today. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. Unsubscribe, resubscribe, rate us five stars, leave us a comment, and we will see you next time.